Hello, I'm John Pollitz, Dean of Library Affairs at Southern Illinois University Carbondale and your host for Saluki Stories. Today's story is the first of a two-part episode featuring Jimmy Wright. Jimmy received his Master's in Fine Arts in 1971, and after receiving his degree, he was offered a position as an instructor of drawing and etching for two years. That's when I first met Jimmy, as I took a drawing class from him in 1973. Jimmy talks about what brought him to Carbondale after completing a World Travel Fellowship awarded to him by the School of the Art Institute in Chicago. Jimmy will talk about his life as a student artist in Carbondale and also his role as one of the founders of the Gay Liberation Student Group in 1971. Next week, we'll learn about his successful career as a professional artist in New York. But now, let's hear more from Jimmy and dive right in. I graduated in 1971 with a master's in fine arts. So that's an MFA with a, uh, a major in sculpture, bronze casting, and um, printmaking. And then you uh, stayed on as an instructor instructor for a couple of years, right? Yes, for two years. For two years. And I had the pleasure of taking, it was either a painting or drawing course from you. I'm, it would have been a drawing class. A drawing class. That, that was it. Um, my, my, I think I only taught one painting class, maybe one semester, and it was not a memorable experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might have been the one I was in because it might, I might have blown the whole thing, the whole experience for you. <laughs> well, any, anyways, um, what brought you down to SIU to study? Uh, I stopped, I was, I had a travel fellowship from the School of the Art Institute that I received as an undergraduate. Um, I received a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Again, I'm sort of foggy on my dates. I think that was 1967. Uh-huh. And um, I won, I won uh, this fellowship in a competition um the stipulation it was a restricted fund and the stipulation was um the money had to be spent overseas so i i did this uh long trip to india overland from europe uh, across eurasia uh, into india and i had re returned from being gone almost a year to Chicago with the intent to re-enter uh, grad school at the Art Institute where I was accepted as, I was already accepted in the grad school. And, uh, you know, I was a kid that had traveled along alone around the world and uh, in a sense proven to myself that I could make it in the world <laughs> yeah, you're right. Under 
the most extreme circumstances and um, came back to the Art Institute, had a scheduled interview with Ray Yoshida, who had been my undergraduate painting teacher. And Ray is probably, <clears throat> probably the, well, certainly in the 2D field, the best instructor I've ever encountered. Yeah. And uh, walked into Ray's office and was greeted with Ray saying, my, aren't we flamboyant? <laughs> <laughs> Because I had shoulder-length hair, I was wearing Tibetan jewelry, I had on a, uh, probably a sheepskin coat. Uh, I think it was oh, yeah. uh, chilly weather in Chicago when I arrived. And I just knew immediately I could not return to grad school. I could not return to the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, I was now out as a gay man to myself, I was out to the world. Uh, I felt I felt full of vinegar. I felt I could handle the world. And I just thought, I don't want to trust my creative growth with someone who's in the closet and who's constantly going to, even though he cares for me immensely and has my best interest at heart, there's no way he, this in the closet man can advise me in a way that I would feel encompassed the wisest choice for myself. Wow. So I just decided then I had to find a different, a different school. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I had not, uh, I had come, you know, I'd come back from this trip to India, landed in New York, flown to Chicago. Um, and so great thing with Chicago is the Illinois Central Railroad. Uh, it went straight to New Orleans. So I got on the city of New Orleans. Right. And the reason I was on that train it makes a stop in Carbondale yep. and it makes a stop in Fulton, Kentucky, which is where I'm from and where my parents live. So I left Chicago with the idea that I was going to Fulton, Kentucky. I realized my first really important art teacher was Thomas Walsh. Thomas Walsh was his first teaching job was Murray State College, now Murray State University. And Tom had been my drawing teacher in 1962 and 1963. Ah, and so I, I stopped in Carbondale to visit Tom Walsh, who at that time was uh, chairman of the sculpture department. Yeah, and had built a bronze casting foundry uh, on the campus of the university. Um, yes, yes. Um, so, in this in this visit with Tom, uh, I mind you, I think this was uh, it was it was just a month or so before the fall 
um, semester would have started. But Tom just looked at me and said, if you don't know where to go to school, why don't you come here? Yeah. Followed by, I can help you get money for school. Wow. Nice. Uh, I, I have a, he said, I have a fellowship that's available. And so that was it. I, I enrolled at uh, SIU and I had a, a fellowship in bronze casting and my job was working for Tom Walsh. And I, uh, I did, when a piece was cast, it was for his personal work, his research. Uh -huh. um, so when a piece was cast, it has bronze sprues where um, the metal, the, that's right. the course right. of the metal running into the main piece of the sculpture. And my job was to clip, file, and then hand chase the surface of the pieces so that where, where those veins were connected to the main sculpture, it became invisible to the eye. So um, it was like a Renaissance hand tool method, which uh, dovetails with my whole experience in printmaking and working on copper plates and using hand tools. So I was really good at it. And I will tell you a secret. I think the first two weeks of my uh, being a grad student at SIU, I slept on the floor of Tom's studio Oh, because man. I had no place to live. Really? Yeah. And yeah. this is when, uh, this is 1969. Uh -huh. And SIU owned many bungalows that were all on yeah. the edge of the campus. Yeah. And those bungalows, well, I remember the, the design department were, were in World War II barracks. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Tom had a bungalow that was his faculty art studio and uh, okay. I slept on what once would have been the kitchen. I slept on the floor in a sleeping bag, um, <laughs> until I found a place to live. And yeah. I, I, I assume it's very different now in terms of student housing, but, uh, you know, all over Carbondale were students living in private properties. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There still is some, but they, yeah, some of those, there still are some of those, those places that were around when you were, were there. Uh, but, you know, it's changed a lot. But speaking of, of your housing, um, could you tell me a little bit, you had a, a major fire. Well, so the house where I found to live was, was wonderful and ideal. It too was a little bungalow, wooden bungalow on the wrong side of the tracks on, I think it was Walnut Street. Uh -huh. So I was only um, two blocks from Main Street or the main drag yeah. of Carbondale. Right. What right. street is that? Um, May well, Oh gosh, you know I should Wasn't know. Maine. <laughs> no, but, but you live there. Hey man, yeah, I know I live there. there. Well, <laughs> Route Thirteen is the is Main Street. Okay, so and and it's going one way west, 
And now I think it's Walnut that comes one way east, heading east. Okay, but what's the cross street? Oh, University or, or, or Illinois Avenue. Illinois. I guess it would be Illinois Avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was, I, I mean, I would walk to the main campus. Right, uh, right. As did hundreds, thousands of other people. Yeah. So I'm yeah. in this little wooden bungalow. Um, heated with an oil furnace. <laughs> yeah. The oil furnace was made for a trailer oh really and so it was set in the wall between the bedroom and the kitchen living room and i went to a lecture and a party by a visiting artist to the art department, Gregory mm -hmm. Babcock, a well-known uh, New York uh, critic. So I was out of the house when this furnace blew up. Oh my. And uh, the next day as friends, it just totally engulfed the entire house. So it blew, it blew flaming oil across the two main rooms of the house oh yeah sure um, um so when i went back the next day with friends to see what i could salvage there was someone from the fire department an inspector there yeah and i was told had i been home it's doubtful i would have gotten out alive wow yeah it sounds like it it's wonderful uh, so in that, in that house, which was also my studio, was um, the entire body of work I had done at the Art Institute of Chicago. Oh, my. Uh, so I lost all my paintings. You know, I don't know how many paintings I lost, but yeah. over 50 paintings wow. just yeah. were consumed with fire. But what survived though burned around the periphery of the four edges were several portfolios of works on paper from, the, from, from my undergraduate days at the Art Institute of Chicago. And uh, in fact, I still, I show those. <laughs> part of what I show is my yeah. art career. Um, <laughs> and I was almost completed with the construction of a body of clay work that was unfired and was drying in my studio. And it, it was all sculptural work. Uh -huh. um, I had started, um, I had started working in um, stoneware and a great couple of guys in the ceramics department would fire everything for me. I had no knowledge of, of ceramics. Uh -huh. I only knew from Tom Walsh how to create a piece in wet clay. Uh, in fact, Tom supplied me 
with the stoneware, the clay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. Even mix it. He mixed it for me. Oh, really? I mean, I can't, you can't believe how many people took care of me in so yeah. many ways. Uh, so there were maybe 12 pieces that were, were uh, 18 by 20 inches or so. And I had them on sculpture pedestals, on tables. They were all over my studio drawing so that could, they could be fired. Of course, all of those were destroyed in the fire because they were not made yet. Yeah. Uh, so I lost all the body of work from my grad show and uh, essentially had to start all over again. Wow. Uh, and I had no place to live. I had no clothes. I had nothing. So um, uh, the, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name, but the dean, the dean, what, what college would fine arts be in in 1970 liberal arts i think so the dean of the liberal arts was a mathematician and uh he gave me a cat a, a cash fellowship wow um i i guess the sculpture department gave me a teaching fellowship or yeah. assistant fellowship um herb fink was chair of the art department uh-huh and uh he sort of totally took me under his wing um to see that i could uh, so that's why i was hired i received my degree i had literally nothing i had made an entire show in maybe three months wow really really impressed uh the mathematician (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but all i did was work um and and uh it served me very well and then uh herb fink hired me for a two-year teaching contract Ah, okay uh because i had no portfolio to go get another teaching job. I had nothing, essentially. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so that's how I ended up staying for another two years teaching. So it was two years only, and then uh, my my contract, I knew my contract wouldn't be renewed. Uh, well, I'm so glad that that happened, <laughs> you know, because it really is. I'm so glad we, I made the connection with you. The class was amazing, and, and, uh, and now we have another connection here. It's just right. it's wonderful. Right. Tell me a little bit about your trip to San Francisco and the creation of the gay liberation movement on at Carbondale. So uh, this is the first uh, winter in Carbondale. So it would have been 1969. And I didn't know anyone. I didn't know any of the fellow. I didn't know anyone. Yeah. Uh, and I'm working uh, on on an etching in the print department. And you would have to tell me the name of the building. It's now demolished, but uh, it yeah. sat very near Old Main. It was one of the original early uh, buildings on campus and it had been repurposed 
Uh, it looked like a high school. It had been repurposed as the art department's building. Okay. Um, yeah. So one of these large classrooms with high ceilings yeah. uh, was the etching department. And across the hall was the lithography room. And then uh, uh, after the fire, my studio was in the basement under a stairwell <laughs> in what it looked like maybe was a storage room. And that's where I did all my clay pieces. Oh, wow. Uh, and the basement was where the ceramics department was. So I'm working in the etching department and a grad student I didn't know, an art, an art grad student, uh -huh. came in, um, a woman from New York named Ruth Bauman, and her boyfriend, who became her husband, was going home to Chicago, and she had decided, this was for Christmas, she had decided to drive to California and basically was looking for someone to drive with her. And uh, we didn't know each other at all. And I just immediately said, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were Ruth, the days, right? <laughs> it was Ruth, another young woman whose name I can't remember, but who was not an SIU student, but was, but lived on a commune. <laughs> yeah. Out in the, you know, the woods outside yeah. of, um, Carbondale, and the three of us drove cross country in an Opal station wagon. <laughs> um, and I arrived in San Francisco. My best friend from Chicago, who uh, was a young uh, woman who was a poet and writer and a graduate of the University of Chicago, was living in Berkeley. So that's where I went to stay with, with my friend Halle. And uh -huh. the first night there, um, someone in the, uh, there were maybe two other people living in the apartment, three other people yeah. shared a big, big apartment in Berkeley. Someone said, hey, Jimmy, we're going to the gay lib dance on campus, meaning uh, Berkeley. Um, yeah. And so I went and wow. um, uh, it was my first organized, gay organized encounter. And um, so I came back to Carbondale from that vacation, knowing uh, that, you know, Berkeley, that was... Um, I've forgotten what the protests were in 68, 69 in Berkeley, but you know, that was a whole anti-war protest. Anti-war free speech thing. And, yeah, yeah, free speech, yeah. I guess. So I came back uh, infused. I, I, I mean, I'm not a political, was not a political activist. I never thought of myself as a political activist, but uh -huh. uh, on campus at SIU, um, I remember I met David Sasser and I cannot remember the other two guys' names that were involved. I did not do the bureaucratic part of the organizing, Yeah, but um, 
that was, it became the first um, gay lib organization on campus. So this would have been 1969 or 70. And I do remember the first meeting, which I look back on and sort of cringe. Um, a professor in psychology arrived with his entire class to observe the homosexuals. Oh my God. And so we were yeah. in the SIU provided us with a fairly good size um, classroom auditorium and it was pitched. Uh, so at the back of the auditorium were like 15 or 20 psychology students. So when the meeting came into uh, the portion where it's open to the to the gay people that have arrived, perhaps expecting uh, only gay people. And I know the organizer of the meeting expected only gay people. And suddenly when it was open to the public uh, for discussion within the community, we were questioned by this professor's students about our sexual orientation. And uh, I just remember uh, whoever was running the meeting had to, sh uh, no one knew how to run a meeting. No one knew how to right. shut the professor down. Yeah, I would know yeah. how to do that now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> would have right. never gotten in the room probably now. Yeah, but yeah. but um, so from the get-go, we were seen as um, abnormal, rebellious, lost souls that needed mental health. Um, so that was the first gay lib meeting at SIU. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't. It's uh, I I can't re I can't give credit to the other two guys, but I can't remember their names. I'll have to I'll have to see if that it got any uh, de. You know, we've got the de all archived. Uh, so I would have that would have been my last uh, year, if not last semester in grad school, and uh, there was a a woman professor who was the faculty sponsor. And then the next year I became an instructor in the art department. She maybe left the job uh, and I became the faculty's, my first year of teaching, I became the faculty sponsor. For <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for two years, I think I was the, the faculty member on record as the faculty sponsor. And I just remember, it, it was just, you know, we had no idea of what we were doing. We were compared to, uh, compared to the gay community now uh, and how active the community has been with civil rights and with healthcare around AIDS and, and what, right. what have you. Um, we were, uh, I was just a total novice at all of it. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing some of your story from your time in Carbondale. Now, for the rest of you, we hope you will all join us next week for the second episode of 
Jimmy's Saluki story. This has been John Pollitz, Dean of Library Affairs at Southern Illinois University Carbondale and your host for Saluki Stories. Our production would not have been made possible without the contributions of radio, television, and digital media assistant professor of practice, Jennifer Pape, student editor-producer, Casey Avis-Rouse, and our music production team, Austin Davis and Dakota Holden. Go dog.